There's a passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians that we read together a few weeks ago, as I recall, if my memory serves me correctly. And I want to read that passage again and then look at the application and the exhortation that calls us to a certain kind of duty if we are indeed of the character that's being described. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to read, beginning at verse 15, and we'll read through chapter 5, verse 9. And uh, I would remind you that you're going to read that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to gather his own unto himself, that will be the day of judgment for this world. God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, even our Lord Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. There is a judgment coming, the wrath of God against a sinful world, and that judgment will take place. But God's people have a blessed hope concerning the Lord's coming in that day. And as I think of the scriptures and I think of what's taught in a clear teaching in the epistles as well as in the gospels and by the Lord himself. Always when the Lord speaks or through his apostles teaches of the second appearing, it's also a consummate period. That is, God brings to consummation his purpose for this world. And uh, that purpose, which now is in finality in the regenerate church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is final in the purpose of God. So there comes a consummation. There comes a conclusion of God's work in this world when Christ comes. And thinking about, for instance, the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, the tares that are sown among the wheat in this world. And uh, the tares that look like the wheat uh, for a while, they appear to be like the wheat. And then a difference comes along because tares don't bear fruit. And those who aren't in Christ don't bear spiritual fruit. They can know a lot, they can do a lot, but they don't bear spiritual fruit to the glory of God. And uh, so when that comes, of course, the, the, the tares will be bundled together, we read in that parable, and uh, the wheat will be gathered into the barn. The Lord Jesus applies it in Matthew chapter 13, I think it's verses 41 through 43. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear let him hear wherever you hear wherever you read there's no period after that for this worldly system i know we've had that taught in a, a dispensational type framework uh, for uh, well since the mid-1800s in some systems and has become very very popular but if consummation as is without any doubt always taught in the clear teaching and doctrine of the new testament if that comes with the Lord gathering his own and judgment taking place at the same time, it leaves no room for so-called millennium in the future. <clears throat> so, as we were not, of course, studying the book of Revelation, but we can bring forth from that, when we would study it, that that period is taking place before the Lord comes back the second time, before he appears the second time. And, uh, of course, every number in the book of Revelation is to be symbolically understood. Whatever number, 4, 7, 12, 144,000, 1,000. 1,000, of course, was the highest number in uh, the Hebrew system. And so you have thousands of thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, but the, the thousand was the highest number and has a significant meaning there. But... We're not going to be teaching that particularly today. But you see it in the passage we're going to read as well. 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Asleep there is a euphemism for those who died in the Lord. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Our text is particularly taken from these following verses. But brethren, ye brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the apostle has shown that the second appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ will be blessed for the saints. And uh, that was taught upon the background of some of those who had died in Thessalonica when obviously they were already looking for the appearing of the Lord. And uh, it was never taught that that would be immediate. It was imminent, that is, we don't know the day nor the hour, but not immediate. And so this was disturbing them. And uh, that passage, uh, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the, uh, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. That's a very comforting passage, of course. It's been used probably no many, no, nobody could count how many times during funeral services, rightly so, for one who's truly in Christ. And a very comforting passage of Scripture, we comfort one another with these words. And so it's a blessed comfort for God's people. It's a blessed comfort for us in the, the midst of this world. Uh, <clears throat> someone once said, we sing about the, 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 the sweet by and by, but we live in the nasty now and now. And we wait. <clears throat> we await the Lord's coming. To the unbelieving who will live for the world and live for self and who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that day will spell wrath for them. That day will be a day of judgment, <clears throat> that day that is called the day of the Lord, which will be so blessed for God's people. It's called the day of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1.6. Our verses in our text we're taking from particularly verses 4 through 8 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and our present verses are exhorting the believing, the believer who lives in obedience to Christ by faith, and the exhortation is that which often we read in one form or another in Scripture and from the Apostle Paul often. And the, the thrust of it is be what you are. Live what you are. As um, in Ephesians 5.8, ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord? And live, he says, be that light, live that life. 
in this world. Uh, those who are children of light, that is, who live in the atmosphere of God's presence and his kingdom, are to conduct their lives as befits the high and heavenly calling. If you have been called by the gospel of the Son of God and you as a sinner have come to realize the gloriousness of a love that loved you in spite of you and redeemed you and wanted you for eternity, and you come really to know that glorious truth and you hear that gospel and you believe that gospel and that Lord that's made known to you becomes so precious to you that nothing could compare to him in this world or no one else then you've been called with a heavenly calling. And you've been called to a high and heavenly responsibility to live as lights in the world. In the first three verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of the day of the Lord. Obviously, this is the day when Christ comes to judgment and to final salvation and deliverance for his own. The day of the Lord. So he seems to pick up that metaphor of light from the day of the Lord. And yet we know he's not playing on words. He's not simply playing on words. We who live in the hope of that day, we who have now been brought into eternal blessedness, the blessedness of God's wondrous incredible, great salvation. We're consciously aware of that coming day. That day is coming. It will arrive in God's time. So we who now have this wondrous salvation, we shall be brought into the fullness of that salvation in that day. And salvation doesn't come in one complete pass package. It continues. Those who have been saved by God's grace, God is still saving them now. And those who are being saved now shall be saved when Christ comes. And this final salvation is spoken of here. It's spoken of also in Romans 13, uh, in the last few verses of Romans and other places in Scripture. will be brought to what we might call the fullness of our salvation in that day when Christ comes. Delivered now from the penalty of sin, Enabled by the Holy Spirit to overcome the power of sin. And that day we shall be delivered from the very presence of sin. It will be passed forever, over, and gone. So we live in hope. We live in the biblical kind of hope. We live in the hope that recognizes God to be true to his word and to his promises. And we believe and trust him. And as in verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been born for that day. Listen carefully. We have been born for that day. That is, born again, regenerate, made new in Christ for that coming day. We have been born. Our home is not in this world. Our home is with our Lord. Our home is in eternity, in the one glorious eternal day with our Lord. So being born of God for that day, we become children of the day. Children of the day. And this seems to be the major vein of thought that the Apostle Paul is bringing forth here. We are born in regard to that day when we shall be then forever with the Lord. We're children of the day. We who are of the light and the day, we're to live godly, of course, in Christ Jesus as we await our divinely purposed arrival at that day. We're to live soberly righteously, godly, in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Titus chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. So that day 
will not take the believing unaware. It will take the world unaware. It will not take those who are in Christ, who know him, who look unto him and look for him. It will not take the believing unaware. And that's because of the character that comes out of the calling of those who are regenerate, born again, made alive in Christ unto faith in him. So in verses 4 and 5, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We're not of darkness. We're not of the night, nor of darkness. Those who are called to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are called out of this world, who hear the gospel, in whom God does a work of his wondrous grace, in whom Christ is made known to, to them, the eternal Son of the living God who came into this world to save sinners and shows forth himself to be the true Holy One and the only one who can save and the only one who is worthy to rule over all things forever, the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, is made known to those who are called by the gospel. And that gospel comes with divine purpose and destiny. When God calls, he has a purpose that's going to be met, that's going to be brought to pass. In Hebrews 3.1, we read uh, of uh, the holy calling. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. We who now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ we lived before in the darkness of this world. We lived under the sway of the wicked one. We lived in the darkness of the sin of this world. We know what it is. We know about the worldling. We know where he comes from because we've been there. The worldling doesn't know about us. The worldling thinks the believer is crazy. The worldling thinks the believer has lost all joy and happiness. And just the opposite is true for those who are in Christ. But we come to know the Lord of glory. We come to know he who is life and light. He who is the whole reason for our reconciliation to the living God. And uh, we come to realize that in him and knowing him, we have a destiny that God himself has secured for us. We lived before under the sway of the wicked one. The world doesn't even become conscious that their works show that they're being moved by the wicked one, by the adversary, by the devil himself. Where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past and the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We've been there. Everyone who is in Christ has been there. But now they're in a different realm, spiritually, in a glorious kingdom, spiritually. We were under the sway of the wicked one. We were in the darkness of sin that prevented us from discerning the things of God. We didn't have a real transcendent consciousness of things that were eternal. But when truly and savingly brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, we become conscious of things that are eternal. Our view is changed. Our whole view is changed. We have what's called the renewing of the mind in Scripture. We're able to lay hold of things that the natural man cannot lay hold of, cannot see. The natural man 
he finds these things foolish. That really signifies also very unappealing. The things of God have no appeal to him. The basest things of the world would have appeal to the natural man. But he has no desire in truth for the things that are of the Spirit of God. So that it's a wondrous thing when one becomes conscious of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation and the wondrousness of the revelation of God in the person of our blessed Lord. And we become conscious of things that are eternal. We have our view changed. We have our direction changed. We were going the way of the transgressor. And the way of the transgressor ends in horrendous wrath. Having sinned against an infinitely holy God. And yet God in his mercy turned us around. Brought us to himself. Caused us to behold the glory of redeeming love in our blessed Savior and in his cross. And so, when truly saved by God's grace, brought to things that are eternal in our consciousness, we have our view changed, we have our awareness of things changed, and we become aware of things that are eternal. Immediately we possess what the Apostle Paul called in Titus the hope of eternal life. That's not an iffy thing. As you know in Scripture, hope is based upon divine promise which shall not fail. This divine calling, this divine calling which issues into a true and saving faith brings to union with the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings what the Lord himself called the light of life. I am the light of the world says our Lord, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life, the gloriousness of a real life, the only real abundant life there is. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Oh, the world thinks of abundant life and having things it desires and having riches and being able to have no problems and so forth. No, that ends in emptiness every time if that's one's place of their true riches. But the light of life in Christ is vital, glorious, eternal. It doesn't end when they end in this world. It doesn't end when the world ends. It is glorious to know the Son of God, to have the light of life. So <clears throat> darkness, Darkness is the metaphorical description of those who are, quote, of the world. While light describes those who are of God and who live in the realm and the atmosphere of the kingdom of God now, who've been delivered from the power of darkness, brought into the kingdom of God's dear Son, who've been turned from darkness to light as the Apostle Paul spoke in the book of Acts who are now able to recognize that they're part of a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that's our now responsibility we're in the kingdom of of God presently the day of Christ's appearing the day of the Lord and the blessedness awaiting the saints eternally thereafter is the destiny to which the call of Jesus Christ shall arrive all who are now called by the gospel God is going to bring them to that wondrous glorification in the day of Christ whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. When God called one, there is a purpose. That one is going to come to be brought to the day of Jesus Christ and be brought to him. It's going to be a glorious day. I don't think it's chasing rabbits, but that's going to be the most glorious wedding there's ever been. 
when the virgin bride of the Lord Jesus Christ is brought to him in that day. What a glorious day that's going to be when Christ comes for his own. Of course, he also comes to judge the world. But those who are in Christ, they have a destiny. In the second epistle to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, when teaching of the great apostasy that was to come, the great falling away that would take place, those, surely, those Thessalonians must have been right nervous about that, knowing there was coming a great apostasy. Many were going to fall away. Many were going to depart from the faith, not from Christ, but from the, what they had professed to believe. And that's a solemn thing, of course. But he writes to the Thessalonians who believe, who are called, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, in light of the coming massive apostasy to take place, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That divine calling assures that one is going to be brought into that wondrous glory with the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. And that's a glorious thing. So already now, living in the realm of God's kingdom, already possessing eternal life, the day of the Lord shall not overtake the saints as a thief in the night. All others, living in the realm of sin and the darkness tied to this world, all others will be taken by surprise. They won't be looking for his coming. They'll come into sudden destruction in that day. In uh, the second epistle of Thessalonians chapter 1, they'll be removed from the presence of God forever. That still, <laughs> I, I'm going to bring it up again because that so affected me when I was studying theology and theological works as a young man, that the biblical teaching, if it's followed aright, shows that those who now live in sin, they, they become self-isolating. They tend to seek their own things. They can push others away. They can be self-isolating. And uh, that's why there, there's hatreds and all of this stuff. And, and uh, one, one writer said that Hatred will divide the souls in hell. There'll be nothing there to stop that hatred. And there'll be self-isolation completely alone for eternity. There's no more horrific thing that I can read that when the Lord Jesus says to some on the day of judgment, depart from me. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, they shall be departing from the presence of the Lord forever and shut up unto themselves in isolation. Then conscience, then all sin will be horrendously known. But there's no repentance then. There's no repentance in hell. Who was it, Dante, that wrote, Ye who enter here in hell, abandon hope. There's no out from it. It's a horrendous thing. And no sinner will blame God for their condition. That's the sinner's problem. It's a solemn thing to face, but a very real thing. Sudden destruction. Destroyed from the presence of the Lord. Shut up unto oneself forever. The blackness of darkness, it's called in Jude. Now, <clears throat> we have a description 
that should bespeak the character of the true believer in verse 5, the first Thessalonians 5, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. In Semitic usage, to be of a thing means to be of its nature. It means to be characterized by that thing. To be the children of light means to be of the light. It bespeaks a transformation that takes place when one truly is brought by God's regenerative work to believe savingly on the Lord Jesus Christ. To be able to come to say with the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so... To be of the light means their character is changed. To be children of the day, of the day, must be understood contextually as those who belong to the day of the Lord. Those who now know that they are pilgrims and strangers in the earth. That this is not our home. We're temporarily parked here for a while. We're on a journey, those who are truly in Christ. We're heading toward that which is eternal. Darkness is descriptive of those who have no part in the day of the Lord because they are, quote, of the night. But we who are in Christ were born for that day and is born again for that day, born from above. For that day. Given newness of life in Christ. In regard to that coming day. And we're under the work of God. Who is preparing us for that day. And we're now to live in the light. And in regard to that day. Our Lord is coming for his own. A lot of God's people and this one included, has found a whole lot of comfort in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to complete what he begins. We may go through a lot of trials, a lot of difficulties, we might have to fight and we will day by day with the old sinful nature. We got a warfare that we're engaged in and only the truly children, the child of God understands that warfare, comprehends that warfare. Only they have been brought to see the horrendousness and something of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the most evil in the whole universe, sin against the living God. And it has been horrendous to see that. And more blessed than tongue and pen could write to behold the glory of God's salvation in Christ crucified and all that that means in removing sin and bringing us to God. What a wondrous thing. Confident in this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The different nature and character of the believer is to bring to a radical difference in the way we outlive our lives in this world, as in verse 6. Therefore, we are not to sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. We're not to pattern ourselves after others who are insensitive to the things of our Lord and to that coming day. We're not to pattern ourselves any longer after the fallen world. Our progressing transformation is to bring us more and more into the will of God and out of the ways of the world. We're no longer to live in the ways 
of this fallen world. We see the world for what it is. We've come to behold it as no other good. We see what the world does not see. And we have a different goal. We have a different set of desires. Different from the unsaved. Who have their life only in this life, in this world. And the things of it. All their goals here. So that we learn to pattern ourselves after the one who saved us. After the Lord Jesus Christ. And those incredible two words the Lord says to the believer. Follow me. Are understood. That means to become like him. That means to go where he goes. That means to hear and embrace his word. That means to be self-denied. Our cross taken to day by day belong to him. <clears throat> no longer to ourselves. That means to outlive our lives with him before us. The key word that keeps us alert in this is the word watch. Watch. And the vigilance, this watchfulness means, leads us to soberness. That means alertness that brings a temperance and a clear-mindedness for us. Like one who is inebriated with alcohol. They're not in their clear mind. But we are to be sober-minded. We are to be temperate in all things. We are to be disciplined, as it were, in things that are right. This means that great diligence is required on our part even as our Lord Jesus Christ is taught. Be ye therefore ready, for you know not the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Be ye ready. That's to be our state continually, to be waiting, looking, waiting for the coming of our Lord, watching. In Colossians 4, 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Watch and pray. This is a key word. Vigilance that we're to have. Later, he deals with it like a soldier. A soldier who's on guard duty, as it were. Having to be looking out, watching, expecting an enemy to come. We know the Lord is coming. But we know he's coming like a thief in the night. The thief in the night doesn't come and knock on the door. And say, hey, I want to come in and check your jewels out. Could you tell me where your money's located? No, he does that in the night. I'm sure our catalytic converter, you know, here stolen a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure that took place during the night. Well, as a matter of fact, I know it did because our light wasn't working, you know, we have out there. And, uh, you know, you know what the greatest deterrent to a thief is? Light. <laughs> light. You don't want to be exposed. And so uh, we're to be watching. We're to be waiting. To watch means to be alert concerning the coming of our Lord. And to be wary of whatever influences are there to war against that watchfulness. We're not to be taken away with this world and the things of it that moves our thoughts away from the most important things we should consider. And this waiting and looking for our Lord. To wait for God's Son from heaven who delivered us from the wrath to come. That is no little thing. It's this which sobers our thinking and prevents us from being intoxicated with the deadening influences of the world. Our longing for that day our longing for that day is to govern our living in this day. Verse 7, the apostle writes, For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. We are to be awake to all that regards 
the day of the Lord. As children of the day. Paul's not here speaking of literal sleep. When he says we're not to sleep like others. Or because there are those who sleep, they sleep in the night. And the drunken uh, or drunkard is drunken in the night. Uh, we are to be awake. He's not speaking of literal drunkenness or literal sleep. He's talking about that which characterizes the activity of the night. We sleep in the night. Some of us get asleep during the day, I fear sometimes too. But we sleep during the night. And the drunk, well, or even those that want to commit moral transgression, whatever type it is, they want to do that and hide it. They don't want that to be seen and known, which itself shows they ought to be ashamed, right? Terribly ashamed of what they're doing. And so <clears throat> they want to hide that. And uh, uh, those who commit sin, they want to do it <clears throat> undercover, if you please. They want to do it out of the sight of others. Here. <laughs> Fearful, terrorized to think that someone would catch them in their acts. Too bad they're not terrorized of what it's done to their relation with God. That might put them in good stead as coming to know the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that day of judgment? Nothing is hidden. All these things the sinner wanted to hide, not hidden. There's only one kind of person. That's a person in a brand new wondrous covenant with God. To whom God says their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. The sinner will have everything displayed. No more hiding it. Nothing hidden. That's a solemn thing, isn't it? That's a horrendous thing to think about. It is a fearful thing. Night is the time generally when men sleep, drunkenness usually engaged in by the profligate. But this is again parabolically speaking of the deadness, the insensitivity that the world has in regards to its own end. But we're to draw from this that the spiritual laziness Sloth. This being carried away with the things of the world which tends to deaden the senses to things eternal. These things are to be soundly and with great effort warred against by us. We're different. Those who are in Christ, those who are saved by God's grace, they're different from the world. You remember what Paul, the question he asked the Corinthians who maketh thee to differ from another. We're charged, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We're different. We're to live differently. Our destiny is different. And the way to that destiny is radically different from the way of the world. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Proverbs 4.18. But this is again, parabolically, speaking of deadness, insensitivity, in regard to one's end. We're to draw from this the horrendous thing of spiritual laziness or getting our minds and hearts on things that remove it from things that are eternal <clears throat> and important. The world is bound to this day. The world does not have a consciousness of things that are eternal coming. It's bound to this time, this day, this period. Very short period actually, in comparison to things that are eternal, but bound to this day. It lives for the things of time, the things of sense, 
while we who are in Christ are born for that day. Children of the day. And are to live in view of our high and heavenly calling. Whatever one thinks they can acquire or gain in this world, if it's going to be detrimental to their walk with Christ, is to be put away. Just like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Anything that hinders that, it ought to go. It's to be put away. This thought of watchfulness naturally leads to the thought of the soldier. The soldier who has his armor on, particularly, I'm sure, with the, the thought of a Roman soldier, and in a state of readiness. In verse 8, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Of course, now we already mentioned, soldier has to be watchful, especially on guard duty. I can remember when I was in basic training in the United States Army, and sometime thereafter, when I would, would pull guard duty, you know, we had to be very watchful. We had to be very watchful and uh, and very much alert. <clears throat> if a guard was found asleep, that was bad, bad news. It's going to be bad news for them. Uh, and then later on, when I gained in rank in the Army, of course, I stationed men. I put them on guard duty. But <clears throat> a soldier has to be very watchful indeed. And uh, the Roman soldier with the heart and the head uh, that are protected, the breastplate guards the heart. <clears throat> the helmet guards the head. And uh, <clears throat> the Christian soldier is to be armed, ready. There are virtues the Apostle Paul speaks of. <clears throat> Again, uh, in verse 8, Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and, and love, <clears throat> and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. We have here the three grand virtues. They are going to various branches <clears throat> that belong to the Christian. Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. It's our faith that causes us to trust in God and believe his promises, to rest in the assurance of our salvation. It's our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in our trust in what we have done, not in our trust that we've said the right words in prayer, not in our trust that we've had the right strength of faith to be able to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our trust in Him, in Him alone. Our looking only to Him and Him only. Our resting only in His finished redemption we trust for our salvation only Jesus Christ crucified. We come to trust him. And we come to be assured that yes, he is the son of God. Yes, he did die for sinners. Yes, he has called. And yes, I have believed. But it's all by his grace. This faith when truly in possession is never without love. Matter of fact, you find these things coming together in Scripture. Faith and love. Uh, to begin with, genuine faith, of course, lays hold of God's grace. It sees his salvation as being from him to us. It beholds the death of our Savior as the whole basis of God's working within us. It brings us to a supreme love of the Lord himself. He is to have our highest love. Our highest regard, nothing, no one in this world is to have a higher place than our Lord. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He is to be the supreme object of our hearts. 
we're to come to seek to know him more and more. And the more we come to know him, the more glorious he becomes to us, the more beautiful in his character, the more incredible in his love. We behold him in the word. We behold him by the work of the Spirit of God, not on canvas, not on statutes, not on these things that do nothing but deceive men as to who he is. We come to know him in the heart. We come to trust him, to look to him. We come to desire to want to know more and more of him. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord we look to him. We trust in him. We come to love him who first loved us and gave himself for us. No one ever did anything for your soul and mine like he, nor could they. It's this love that brings us to love one another, to love those who are in him, to love the saints, to love to gather with the saints, to love to want to be with the saints. It's this love that brings us to be longing for that day, looking for him, longing for that day to come. Not for the day's sake, because it's the day when the Lord himself arrives. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel. The Lord himself shall come. We look for him. If we don't arrive at that day, we shall arrive with him through the avenue of death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but we long for his coming. We long for him to appear. Some, I don't know how many, won't have to go through that door of death. When he comes, those who are alive when he comes will be caught up together with those who have been raised from the dead, their bodies raised, and their spirits reunited in that day. To meet the Lord in the air. Those we've loved. Those we've had to stand beside their gravesite, Those we've had to say words over them. And read scripture. They're going to be there. In that day. And that's going to be a glorious day. And. It's coming. It will take place. And we're to be waiting. We're to be longing. We're to be looking. For the coming of our Lord. And loving him supremely. And loving one another. Longing for that day. For the Lord's sake. Who's coming. Without this love. For our Lord supremely. There is no longing for him. You go after what you love. You go after what you want. You go after what is in your heart. You do generally. What means most to you. Correct? Go after him. Seek him. Look to him. Trust him. Plea with him to show you more and more of himself. The more you behold, the more you have to love. Without this love, this longing for the Lord, it bespeaks a state of darkness. So the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, I think verse 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, accursed. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. We see also then the connection of hope with this faith and with this love. The hope of salvation points to the future. 
The hope of salvation lays hold upon God's promises and his promise in Christ to those who believe. It's forward-looking and carries with it no doubt as it's based upon the revelation of God's purpose and comes with divine promise. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. Without sin, unto salvation. He won't be a sin offering then. He offered himself for sin once for all. And those who are redeemed by him and for him and belong to him those whose hearts are toward him. Not carried away with the fanciful things of this world. It's taken away with him. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. And that final glorious salvation will be there. Looking to him. Looking at him in scripture. And by the work of God's spirit. Looking for him. That's not simply a blessed hope. That's the believer's blessed hope. The blessed hope. That blessed hope. Awaiting his coming. This hope significantly here last in order, comes out of faith and love and is in particular regard to our Lord's coming again. So when Paul speaks of the hope of salvation, he's speaking of the salvation which is to come here. In the death and resurrection of our blessed Savior, he secured for us all of God's work in us to that day and to his appearing and for eternity it's he the Lord of glory the Lord Jesus who has reconciled us to God now already saved us now and he who shall save us in that day all through the faith he's given us and as our Lord secures all that regards us salvation is in his hands So in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That is, since we are now brought to God through Christ and the cross, by the work of God's grace, by his Spirit, He is the one who shall bring us all the way. We are in his hands. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He's our keeper. He's the one who keeps us. So those who shall be finally delivered and made safe for all of eternity, that's really the meaning of salvation, must already have been delivered from sin and the destruction sin brings. So those who've been saved will be saved. You have to be saved now in order to be saved then. And salvation is a person. Salvation is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. God says, the Father says to the Son, He will make Him His salvation to the end of the earth. In Isaiah 49, verse 6. You must have Him if you would have life. You must have Him now if you're going to have Him then. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God 
hath not life. The only thing that will keep you from him is sin, your sin. If you want your sin more than you want the Savior. It's sin that keeps one from coming to Christ. And so if you're conscious of being a sinner, if you're fearful of seeing God's face, if you're desirous to be delivered and made safe, hear the Lord's word. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, wrote the Apostle Paul. Surrender to him by faith. You want to meet him that day in the gloriousness of a, a glory that cannot even now be properly considered so far beyond anything we could ever even imagine? You're going to have to know him now to know him then. You're going to have to surrender by faith to him. And if you do so, it's because God's grace saved you, enabled you, worked in you brought you to him so as one hymn goes let not conscience make you linger nor of fitness fondly dream all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him <laughs>